Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. This is a very important episode. Today we're interviewing Jennifer Sommerfeld. Jennifer is an author and childbirth trauma counselor with nearly 20 years of experience in maternal health. Birth trauma is unfortunately common, and many stats show that it is on the rise. I truly hope our conversation can be used as a healing resource for anyone struggling to process their birth. Thank you, Jennifer, for taking the time to be with us here today. Thank you, Nikki and Lexi, for having me. Welcome. We are very grateful. <laughs> this yeah. is this is such an important conversation, as I mentioned, and you are, this is truly your wheelhouse. You've been in this, this space for quite a long time. You've got a book, you've got a podcast. I am a big fan of your podcast. I've just mm -hmm. discovered it. So I think we should just dive in and perhaps you can share with us a little bit about just the definition of birth trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always like to start the conversation off really slowly. And in the beginning, when I used to talk about this, I would jump right in and be full of excitement. Um, but now I've learned to approach it with a lot of reverence. And, you know, I tell a story of um, speaking publicly to a room of um, birth professionals or about 25 birth professionals in the room. And uh, the whole day was on birth trauma and of course, it's something I'm super passionate to talk about, in particular, the neurobiology of healing, because that's what excites me. And uh, I say that I felt like I got godsmacked by trauma in the room. And what I mean by that is that when we talk about the implications of experiencing trauma, which nowadays is a very, um, it's a very accepted term. You know, we hear trauma informed everywhere. It's, it's a buzzword. And back, you know, even 10 years ago, when I really started to research this on my own to heal from my own trauma, that word wasn't around yet. And it was really hard to even find a counselor that specialized in trauma informed care, which I now understand to be nervous informed, um, nervous system informed. So I'll talk about that. But what happened was that I recognized that when we start talking about the topic of birth trauma, in particular, or any kind of trauma, it's almost impossible to prevent people's implicit experiences to come to the surface, to not come to the surface. Meaning we might not even be aware of the fact that we had maybe been impacted by our birth experience. And it could be 20 years ago. It could be 40 years ago, right? It could be 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, you start to hear these, you start to hear about the stories and you start to understand the implications of it. And all of a sudden it starts bubbling up to the surface. And so we can talk about trauma through the scientific lens, which is very much engaging the head. And in our world, that's a very safe place. 
You know, if we stay in the head, if we stay in the cognitions, it's safe. Um, it's impossible for me to not drop into the heart and the body and dare I say the soul. And so because of that, oftentimes it can um, have a ripple effect. And before, you know, anybody's even knowing it, they're starting their healing journey and they just didn't even anticipate it. So I've learned to tread slowly and graciously and um, to preface with that. So what that means is for your listeners that as they're taking in what they're hearing, that if they need to take a break from the content to pause it, um, that it's important to recognize what's happening in your body and to stay connected to your body, to stay connected to your heart, the emotional territory, to notice what's coming up in your mind, you know, the cognitive and narrative territory. Um, and that at any point, you know, you can always come back to the content. You could start to do your own deeper investigation. So my hope is that as we engage this conversation, that it starts to wake something up, but that it's not too scary. Right. I hope that too. <laughs> so that's my preface. So, so can we go back to that original question, which yes. was what is, is, I think it was, what is birth trauma mm -hmm. was the question. Um, which then means that we have to um, talk about what is trauma. And I like to tell people that when we're looking at trauma, we're looking at it in three areas. So there is a physiological impact that one experiences in their body, in their, within their nervous system, and I'll explain that in a moment, that um, happens when we've experienced something that has threatened our sense of safety and well-being. And that threat could be either towards ourselves or towards our loved ones. So we could witness that threat or that threat could be happening to us. And the threat of harm or death is the trigger. And um, ultimately it, it results in a survival stress response that gets activated within the physiology because of that trigger because of that threat and um, that there's no way to escape it, that there's nothing that somebody can do about it. So that's really kind of the recipe you could say that can result in the body expressing its survival stress response, which is innate in all of us. And so then you're going to go into an activated stress response and have the physiological um, unfolding of that. So that's the body. And you can keep me on track because we can come back and I'll explain that further. So then, I'm taking notes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but it doesn't just happen in the body, right? If it was just the body, then we could resolve that survival stress response by completing that um, signal, by completing that system um, to its fullness. And then the body would restore itself back to homeostasis. And this is very much the, the key of a lot of the... Um, uh, trauma recovery modalities like EMDR or somatic experiencing, for example, to restore the body back to its uh, state of homeostasis and balance, which is a state of coherence. Okay, so moving on, we know though that we have an emotional impact. So it impacts our heart. I like to just, you know, put the emotions in the heart center mm -hmm. and, um, and so one of my teachers would, would say, we can have grief without trauma, but you cannot have trauma without grief. 
And so that means that not only are you needing to restore the body and take care of the um, physiological implications of being frozen in a survival stress response, you need to be able to move the emotional material or the emotional debris. You need to be able to move through that safely, which means feel it to its completion. So that means that with trauma, you're going to have the heightened survival stress emotions, which result in anger, fear or terror, and grief or despair. And, and so if we don't get that opportunity to fully express that emotion, to fully feel those emotions with context, then the emotional material stays trapped in the system, stays trapped in the heart, and then that continues to dysregulate the system. And then we also need to keep moving up the ladder, let's say. And you know, now we also know that there is a psychological component. There is a cognitive component. The mind, right? The mind takes a snapshot of that event. And it's taking a snapshot of that event because um, it's a highly stressful event. So the mind um, zeroes in on these events in our life that are full of huge emotional material. So whether that's ecstasy, right? Or whether that's terror, the mind's paying attention because it's geared towards novelty, but it's also intended to help protect us. So it's paying attention going, whoa, this is outside of kind of like every day, we're just kind of trucking along, nothing is, you know, outside of our realm of, of comfort or normalcy. And then bam, we're hit with something that um, floods our system with highly charged emotional material. So it's a felt sensation and an emotional sensation. And so then not only does the mind take a snapshot of it, it also tells a story about it. And this is the narrative piece. So now there's a story that's being connected to, linked to that initial event. Are you following so far? Yeah. And so in that story, one might think that, you know, I personally, let's just take me as an example. I, Jennifer, told myself something about this highly stressful event. Let's say I told myself something about my birth experience and I'm in control of what I told myself. That's what we normally think. Like somehow we seem to think that. So we tell ourselves something about that experience. However, the story we tell ourselves about that event is informed by our past. It's not unique. It's not present day you know, storytelling. It's actually storytelling that's been informed by our past. And most often it's informed by our core beliefs. We tell ourselves something about ourselves. So we initially might tell ourselves something about everybody else in the room. And that story is usually what I say, that story of blame, which needs to be held, needs to be heard, needs to be validated, needs to be investigated, because sometimes in, within those experiences, there is legitimate reason to investigate what went on and potentially um, isolate somebody who misbehaved. So if the doctor, if the primary caregiver, if the nurse, if the midwife, if the doula, if the partner, right, for example, somehow violated that space, 
and the parent, the mother, the birthing person experienced their birth as having been violating to some degree, and we can unpack what that could be, um, it might be within their rights to look at whether or not um, they were indeed uh, violated. Indeed, their human rights were violated, for example. I have a question, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've made notes here, and I, I did my undergrad in psychology, so I'm loving this right now. I'm missing learning about this stuff, so thank you for refreshing my memory and reminding me how much I love it. But um, not the topic of birth trauma, but just understanding how the mind works. Um, so you mentioned physiological, emotional, and cognitive components. Mm-hmm. If someone's listening to this, and we had a bunch of questions that I shared, and I asked um, actually people to ask their questions regarding this conversation that we're having. If someone's, you know, someone asked, for example, I recently had an emergency C-section birth. Um, you know, how do I begin processing my trauma? Where do I start? Mm-hmm. Would you suggest starting more along the physiological, the emotional, or sort of the cognitive story that that person is telling themselves about that birth? So the, this, I guess the answer to that question would be twofold. I mean, most importantly is being very client-centered. So I would follow the lead of that mom, um, noticing where they're going to first. So if they feel a great need to unpack the story, we would start there. That being said, um, going back to these three points to consider, uh, I present to my clients that let's start with the physiology first and let's look at the neurobiology first. Let's understand your nervous system and what was happening to your nervous system and why your nervous system experienced that birth in the way that it did because it's state first story follows. We, I just want to say that again, state first, I think that's a really important point. Mm -hmm. And I want you to just explain that if you don't mind a little more. Yeah. And so this very much comes out of Stephen Porges's work and Deb Dana's work about polyvagal theory and therapy. And I don't know if we're going to have time to go into the polyvagal theory, (laughs) but um, basically the premise of it is that we experience the world through our nervous system. We actually experience lived experience through our bodies, through the felt experience of what our nervous system is picking up in its environment. And that's done through something called neuroception. So so neuroception is, um, you could say, it's the energetic exchange of information. We're sending and receiving cues of information that either trigger um, signs of danger or trigger glimmers of safety. And we take in this information. So this is below conscious awareness. This is what we call neuroception. Neuroception is the sending and receiving of cues of safety or signals of safety and danger. And this is happening nanosecond to nanosecond. We are right now relating nervous system to nervous system first before we're relating personality to personality and story to story. So it's so why I'm speaking that is because often we're not aware of it. Right. Often we're not paying attention to how our system is experiencing its lived moment-to-moment reality. 
are you following right. so far? Is this making yeah. sense? No, this yeah. is this is, is. goal. Okay. I mean, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to listen to this all over again okay. multiple times. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just such right. it's such important information. So, so I'll answer. I'll finish answering that question, and then you can ask me another question. So, just to to complete that thought process about you know what would how would a mom address that experience if they had an emergency cesarean section? That mom's nervous system would have had an experience leading up to that emergency cesarean section. So we would be looking for the moments in which maybe the nervous system was neuroceiving danger. And if that got activated in her nervous system, then they would have had an activated survival stress response, fight or flight. Right? Or freeze, right? Yeah. Right. And so fight or flight is our sympathetic state. And then we actually drop into another state, which in polyvagal theory is called the dorsal vagal state. And that's immobilized collapse. So it's different than freeze. So freeze, we think of like catatonic freeze, which happens like you see it with animals, right? Where they just yeah. freeze. Or it may be like, I know once I was like a deer came up to me and my whole system just froze, right? Like it's right. that catatonic state of freezing. Um, immobilizing and collapsing is more often what we see happening to people. So your system gets ramped up with energy. It goes into fight or flight meaning it's mobilizing its energy for you to protect yourself. It's mobilizing energy for you to be able to do something about the threat that is impending. Right. Making sense so far? Yeah. yeah. So the threat is my baby might be under in distress. My baby mm-hmm. might, might um, I've been told my baby's heart rate is dropping. My baby right. might be might be at risk of dying or I might be at risk of dying. This might not be happening in the one's conscious awareness, but it's happening in their body. Yeah. A lot of people said they had out of body experiences. Right. So that would be a form of dissociating for protection. So, so the system is flooded with this stress chemical, right? So, and because it's neuroceiving danger. So we neuroceive before we perceive. So perception is bringing cognitive awareness to this neuroception. This is very technical. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So, I mean, <laughs> we're following. We are, we are following. Okay. Okay. So, so then what happens is if that mom is in a sympathetic state reaction where they're now in fight or flight and they can't do anything about it, they can't escape. They can't get off the bed. They can't say no, they can't run away, right? So now their system is flooded with all of this energy. And many of us have never been taught what to do with this energy. True. Right? It's just floods us, it's overwhelming. And then it either collapses us or it explodes us. We either implode or we explode. And when there's just too much felt experience going on, and then the mind starts spinning out of control what do we do? The system will pop out. I say we just dissociate or we have an out-of-body experience because that's actually working in our favor. And this is so important. And this is what I help moms understand. Your body did nothing wrong. Your body actually was working in your favor the entire time. For whatever reason, something was happening that was being experienced as a threat to your well-being or your baby's well-being. 
it was just too much and you weren't supported in a way or you didn't know at that time what to do when things got too much, which biologically speaking will actually slow down the trajectory of labor and birth. Because in the wild, if a animal in labor experiences a threat, they're going to stop labor. And then they're going to relocate until it's safe again. Wow. Or they'll have a precipitous birth, which means they'll have a fetal ejection reflex and that offspring will come flying out of them within a few minutes because that danger or that threat was so great that they that their system intelligently knew we don't have time to progress here, to have like a, a, an instinctive, even though this is instinctive, we don't have time to hang out in this. We got to get this baby out. So those things happen. So either the mom will birth her baby very rapidly, very, very almost explosively, which can be that in itself can be traumatizing for some moms because they can feel so out of control, so out of their bodies, that the sensations are so overwhelming. Everything's happening to them so fast that they don't have time to even get into that altered state of consciousness that we need to get into to engage labor fully and instinctively. And so So, are there ways, because you don't know that you're going to have a traumatic birthing experience, right? Like there's no preparation of, you know, you very much can prepare for a lot of things, but you just don't know what to expect and everyone's birthing experience is so different. Are there ways that women can prepare so that during these types of traumatic instances that you're speaking of that we can, I guess, protect ourselves better or, or help ourselves feel more in control. Like, yeah. What, what are the ways that we could proactively, I guess, prepare? Mm -hmm. Again, a very good question requires a deep conversation. (laughs) So um, I'm going to try to answer that in twofold as well. And I don't know if I finished answering the other question yet, but, um, First of all, what I do want to say is that not everybody's experience of birth will be encoded as traumatic. So even if that person is um, experiencing an emergency cesarean or all of a sudden um, things just started ramping up and happening and, you know, baby was at risk, that's what they're being told, right? You could imagine the nervous system is flooded with stress chemicals and, and they're rightfully concerned and afraid. However, if they come out of that experience where they're met with somebody who has a very calm, connected, grounded, open, loving nervous system in which they can attune their attention to, so in other words, they can feel safe, secure, seen, and soothed, these are all necessary components of helping us heal and regulate our nervous system because we need another nervous system to regulate our nervous system. That's called co-regulation. If they're met with that, and if it's safe enough for them to cry it out, to shake it out, to roar it out, literally, okay, Um, and then to talk it out, Immediately, this is why critical incident debriefing has some positive um, effects. And then complete the story 
so that the story goes from, you know, beginning, middle, and now an end, and the end is it's all over and we're safe and I'm okay. If that all happens within that immediate post point, then it's very possible that that parent won't be imprinted by trauma. Hmm. Can you talk so, timing for a second? Sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. you're talking in the hospital likely, like within hours or a day of birth? I mean, ideally, so let's just take the physiological um, implications of being in a survival stress state, which is what we're talking about here. Physiologically speaking, that as a mammal, when that system is activated, it's only meant to be a very short burst of energy and short period of time. And so once the threat is no longer in the field of awareness. So once we know mom and baby are okay, mm -hmm. right, then instinctively speaking, if we don't get in the way of this, the nervous system will go through completing that cycle, which will look like shaking. It will look like crying uncontrollably. It will look like um, potentially getting very angry or feeling rage and needing to rage, okay? Mm -hmm. Because those are all physiological responses that occur instinctively in um, a mammal, mm -hmm. which we are. And so the sooner the better, right? Mm -hmm. The sooner the better. But what often happens is we're afraid of that. We've been trained that feeling that and behaving like that is a sign of not being in control and being bad. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, right. So this is where I, that's, this is why I say there's three parts. Initially people talk about there being two, there's the physiological and the psychological. And I say, there's also the heart, the emotional, right? So we need to support the nervous system to be able to do what it's going to do, which is when that mom starts shaking and she's scared because her body is shaking out of control, that she's met with somebody who can ground her in that, who could wrap her up, who could hold her and say, this is okay, who could give her a towel and say, just twist the towel till it shakes out of your bones because you literally are shaking that energy out of your system. Wow. And this happens in, instinctively in the body. But when we're afraid of it or we're told there's something wrong or we try to suppress it because we don't want to be seen as looking like we're out of control or now all of a sudden, you know, we're grieving, we're heaving in grief or we're feeling the fire of rage and there's nobody there meeting us in that immediate postpartum to say, this is okay. Mm -hmm. What you just went through is very scary. What you just went through was not what you had envisioned or anticipated. You know, there's a lot here that happened both physically and emotionally. And yes, you know, perhaps your dream birth it didn't turn out the way you had imagined. It's horrifying for you. It's okay to feel sad. You're going to grieve and I'm here for you. If we were met with that, mm -hmm. it's very possible we wouldn't have, see, this is my thesis and my theory based on that knowing, based on that understanding, physiologically speaking, we know that that trapped energy, when it remains frozen in the system, that that engine is still revved up, but it's got nowhere to go. It starts to dysregulate the nervous system. The nervous system gets in this state of incoherence. And we know that incoherence is the ingredient towards mental illness, what we would call 
you know, I say mental distress, but right, this is what we know. We know that a state of mental health is when the nervous system is in a state of coherence. coherence, coherence being body, mind, heart in rhythm and in harmony, coherence, meaning all the parts of the brain functioning optimally, all that kind of stuff. And so if that system stays revved up because that mom's not supported and now imagine, right? Already motherhood, you know this, motherhood in and of itself in those initial mm-hmm. days is mm-hmm. something that nobody could prepare you for, right? You've just gone through this initiatory event. It's a transformative event, no matter what the birth experience or outcome is. It's a transformative event. It's a journey. And you're left with this baby and you're supposed to know what to do. I mean, it's mind blowing, right? It really is. Yeah. It's mind blowing. And now you've got layered on top of that, this physiological response that's happening because you had an experience that activated your survival stress centers. So sadly, most women don't have someone to hold space for them in that way after they experience trauma. I think we, unfortunately, unless you have an amazing doula, which is also harder to have these days, given that we're living in unprecedented times with this pandemic. So what is someone to do if trauma has been imprinted on their body and there is incoherence in their nervous Mm -hmm. system and they want to move forwards Mm -hmm. from that? I mean, Lexi and I had a conversation about cesarean birth was it last week, Lex? Yeah. And and she started to cry. And she, her her she's had and they were both fairly traumatic. And I remember, you know, I think her youngest, they're twins. I think they're seven, seven. Uh, like, yeah, I think yeah, she's seven. got a nine and a seven year old or something. Yeah, like that. Or seven, yeah. yeah no. There, anyways, there, it wasn't yesterday, you know. And it still evokes that emotion. And so, okay. what if someone is listening to this and you know? however long it's been, and they know now listening to this, that trauma has been imprinted on them. They've never felt permission to feel those feelings and whatnot. Where do they start? Mm -hmm. So first of all, recognizing that maybe whatever you did experience in the postpartum doesn't need to be labeled as a mood disorder. I think that's so important. Um, That's my biggest mission, you know, is that it's an extension of what your body experienced, what your heart experienced and what your mind experienced. Secondly, it's never too late to heal. It's never too late to heal. And I remember reading years ago, and I'm pretty sure it was Christine Northrump's book, um, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. This was before I even had children, which by the way, are now 21 years old, 19 and about to be 16. Mm-hmm. And, um, in that one thing that really, really stood out in that book for me, aside from starting to acknowledge my womb and my menstrual cycle, uh, was this idea that we hold the cells of our offspring for, I believe it was 27 years. What? Wow. Yes. That it, it's in our blood that their cellular genetic material is in our blood. Don't quote me on it. Um, I can get the book. I have the book. I'll find it. (laughs) We'll include the book. (laughs) So maybe it's 24 years to 27 years. But I just remember that when, um, so of your children. And I remember because when I hit about 27, I thought to myself, huh, so now my mom you know, I'm technically no longer swimming around in my mom's <laughs> system. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm officially individuated. <laughs> <laughs> Took a while. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so, hilarious. Um, you know, I just say that because we're deeply interconnected in a symbiotic system. And the other thing I want to say is that through my own lived experience of my own healing journey, every stage of your healing journey will have a ripple effect on your children in a very noticeable way. Um, and that is worth every moment of your investment in your own health and well-being. Um, so yes, it's never too late. This is why I'm an advocate for this kind of therapeutic support. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And it's different, obviously, than just talk therapy in many ways. It's very um, different. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know we had that conversation on the phone before booking this interview. And I was like, I love everything that Jennifer is saying. We need mm -hmm. to interview her. Um, and, and there's so many good questions that we got. And I'm hoping that we might be able to ask some of them sure. to you. Um, you know, what are some of the ways you would recommend someone handle processing emotions of of guilt or jealousy as it relates to, you know, comparing what they perceive as their story, not measuring up to other people's more empowering birth stories? Yeah, I think that this is a very challenging, um, what's the word I want to use? This is very common mm -hmm. today because of social media. Uh, I've noticed that there's an, a huge increase in moms comparing their birth experience with other moms. Yeah. And, and, there, and I wrote a whole article on this um, about the different camps um, and how I talked about this third camp being the camp of moms who've had difficult birth experiences or identified trauma birth experiences. You don't have to call it traumatic. You can call it disappointing. You could call it difficult. You could you know, call it um, not what you wanted. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, the reality is that if it was any of those kinds of experiences, that there is trapped grief and there's likely trapped guilt um, in the system, in the heart, because the mind, like I said, is telling you a story about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first thing I would always say is just get off social media. <laughs> I don't understand the world. It's not what I grew up with, but you know, um, comparison is deadly. Mm -hmm. um, everybody has, and I'll say this, everybody has a unique nervous system. We, we cannot blame our nervous system for how it experienced that birth. It is what it is for all kinds of reasons. Our history has imprinted our nervous system and we can't go back and undo that. We can do some pretty powerful things with our mind um, that can definitely heal our bodies. I believe that, you know, but it's not your fault that you were in the environment that you were in. You know, as children, we had no choice. And so whatever environment we were born into, that environment definitely shaped our nervous system to be able to tolerate highly stressful experiences. That's a, that's a very simple way of saying it. Yeah. And so let's say somebody has, ha has like a very um, huge capacity to tolerate a lot of stress and they don't get dysregulated very easily. And they might have a similar birth experience um, yeah. of, you know, how, we're using the emergency cesarean as, as the mm -hmm. example. So they might have a similar emergency cesarean section and they might walk out being like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good. My baby's here. My baby's healthy. 
Um, I'm not holding a lot of story about that. It was what it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just getting on with motherhood and somebody else can't get past it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that in my students. Yeah. They're in grief. They're in blame. They're in disappointment. They can't, they're playing it over in their mind over and over and over and over again. And they're just stuck in it. Mm -hmm. And so First of all, the comparison is detrimental, obviously, because that person's nervous system might have a very different story than that other person's nervous system. So that's important to explain. Secondly, it's important that people are trauma-informed. And even further now, I'm understanding that they're nervous system-informed because it builds an incredible amount of compassion. It's such a physiological conversation, which can be very dry, but my experience of it is not only self-compassion, like an enormous amount of self-compassion for my nervous system. Like now I talk to my body, like it's, it's a baby, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like, oh, really good tip. I, I, I know what I can tolerate. And then when I start to tip out of my window of tolerance, which is Dan Siegel's work, um, I don't blame myself for not being able to tolerate all of the bloody stressors in life. Mm -hmm. There is so much stress right now, you know, coming at us. And as parents, as parents to young children, it's inevitable that you're going to be tipped out of that place of coherence. And I don't care how much self-care you do. So (laughs) I love that. I'm going to quote you on that. Okay. (laughs) So like we need to have deep understanding and patience and tolerance and compassion for everybody's unique nervous system that has been deeply imprinted by their unique lived experiences going as far back as how they developed in that utero. Wow. We hear compassion. Like it's the same as when we were, um, interviewing another Jennifer actually, and on, um, on PMS actually. And it, again, this word compassion as it links to motherhood, I think it's just, it's something that we don't give ourselves enough of clearly. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, and from what you're saying, it sounds like anyone who is listening to this, who feels like you mentioned at the very beginning of triggered or, or, going back to their own birthing story or just feeling, you know, discomfort in, in basically listening to this and what their birthing experience was that mm-hmm. that could be deemed as trauma and that they, because a lot of women I, I know, and Nikki hears it all the time, they're lessening their experiences because of the mm-hmm. comparison, as you mentioned to others. And I think that what you just mentioned of our nervous system and that none of us are the same Mm-hmm. that that's really important for women to understand that you could have gone through a very similar experience to someone else, but how you've actually inter- internalized that is mm-hmm. very different and may require, mm-hmm. you know, offloading that or, mm-hmm. you know, unpacking it in some form. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, having that opportunity to feel heard, you know, mm-hmm. be held, feel soothed, co-regulate with another nervous system. You know, I wrote down safe, secure, seen, and soothe, the four S's. I'm going to use that. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> Dan, that. Siegel's, that's Dan Siegel's work. And my daughter added about six more, which was awesome. Um, and I actually used that a lot to even just talk about how we negotiate relationship, 
how yeah. in relationship to others, you know, where, you know, do you feel those four S's because, okay, let's use birth as an example. Um, I will say to, to, to moms who are preparing for their next birth, because often what happens is I'll end up seeing moms who are now pregnant again and yeah. everything comes oh, yeah. back. Right. And so I'm like, let's deal with this before you're pregnant again. But mm -hmm. if you're pregnant again, great. And, you know, the biggest thing that is brought forward often is this, this hesitancy to want anything out of that experience. Or Low fear. expectations. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. For fear <laughs> of disappointment. Yeah. Like exactly. the VBAC conversation is huge. I have sure. so many women in our push because mm -hmm. we have a prenatal Pilates. It's called prenatal Pilates and push prep. It's our most popular virtual class. And we have a lot of women who say, I had a traumatic first birth experience. I'm hoping for a different outcome this time. Yeah. You know, it, I, I'm, they're doing, they want to feel like they're somehow taking control mm -hmm. and they want to, you know, whether, however, and we're not talking just cesarean birth, any type of birth that didn't go the way they want, they want to have a different outcome. Mm -hmm. So we do talk about self-advocacy mm -hmm. and I know this is a whole other conversation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I do believe that it makes a difference. However, it's obviously harder to do in certain circumstances. And as women, we've also been conditioned to be polite and not to question figures of authority, you know, and, and there's that whole, that whole thing with sometimes women say to me, Nikki, you know, you're, you're able to advocate for yourself and, you know, and I could share stories about my own need to do that, but I'm not going to do this. not what about it. This is not about that right now, but a lot of them say I have a hard time or they feel like they can't find their voice or they're, they're shy and they don't feel comfortable. So do you have suggestions for women who might feel difficult advocating for themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there, it's so funny. I'm always like, there's two things to this. <laughs> there's more than two things. Of to course. This. Um, okay. So first of all, going back to our physiology, if we're in an activated survival stress response, our capacity to be able to voice what's going on for us is compromised. Mm -hmm. So neurobiologically speaking, the centers of our brain that are responsible for executive function, for being able to take what we're thinking and, and um, speak it, are often compromised when we're in a high state of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And so, so I first of all explain to moms that if that's happening, because what happens is in the post, the post period, one of the deepest regrets that moms will often experience is, oh, yeah. why didn't I say anything? Right. And the guilt around that, I'm, you know, I've got questions like people saying, how do I forgive myself for exactly. not advocating? Oh. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so it breaks my heart because the more I understood what's happening to us neurobiologically, I understood why moms are frozen to communicate. So um, trigger warning, I'm about to give an example that has to do with being sexually assaulted. So um, we would never say to, a, to, to somebody who's experienced a sexual assault, why didn't they scream no? Why didn't they run away? Mm -hmm. um, and I, working with um, women who have been sexually assaulted, this is a very common experience where they lose their voice. And then afterwards, in retrospect, they don't, um, they're like, I'm a strong person. I'm, I'm usually very good at advocating for myself. I don't understand what happened. I just let it happen. This is the same conversation that I hear 
women and people who've experienced birth trauma speak about. And this is why I wrote about very briefly in Healing After Birth that um, birth is an extension of our sexual health. And it is an extension of our sexuality. And so when it is experienced in ways in which one might feel violated, then the same kind of triggers are going to come up. And that's a whole other conversation that I'd be happy to to come back on and talk about. Um, But again, it's a pretty sensitive topic, but it's important that we understand that if we're in an activated survival stress response for whatever reason, you didn't do anything wrong, your body wasn't behaving poorly, and the reason why you couldn't speak up is because you were in a frozen state of survival stress, and that part of your brain that would normally function optimally was compromised. So important for people to know. So then in the healing, now we look at what did you want to say? What couldn't you say that you wanted to say? Let's, let's explore that. What's, what are you feeling as you're saying that, you know, and the more work that you do in this threefold way that I was talking about what body, heart, and mind, where it's an embodied experience, what I notice over and over and over again is that compassion arises naturally from within. Moms don't have to tell themselves, it's okay, you did the best you could. It literally comes up for them. And when it comes up for them and they fully understand and they can see themselves now and hold the laboring person that was frozen in fear with love in a safe container, then they heal. Because now they've grown and their heart opens, they understand. And that's all we can do. We are meaning-making beings. We tell stories. And your birth story, in my opinion, is a sacred story. No matter what it is, it's a sacred story, and we need to validate that. And each parent, I believe, the postpartum is the weaving of the story. It's not to be pushed aside. It's not to be forgotten. It's that story is in your cells for 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That story is in your periphery for as long as your children are with you. You can't forget that story. It's an initiatory story. And, you know, that's why all of those areas are as imp- are, are important to be validated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's a good place to close. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you You're so welcome. much. This has, yeah, been uh, really great, uh, I think, for a lot of women who are listening and um, need that validation for themselves in their birth story. And I know, like I said, Nikki hears about this probably every yeah. day from women. Um, so this has I been uh, really important. And I, I've realized intuitively that, you know, we are, and I actually love, I heard this quote in one of your podcasts that I was listening to recently, Jennifer, is that we are at our most vulnerable and powerful during birth. And whatever happens to us in that moment and how we're cared for either amplifies 
the state of vulnerability moving forward or a state of empowerment moving forward. Mm. And one of my personal missions, and I'm getting shivers as I say this, Mm. is to try to support as many women as possible in having positive, empowering stories Mm. as it relates to their birth. And obviously, there are going to be scenarios that we can't control, but how then do we shift from a vulnerability story to an empowerment story? And so everything you've shared here today is just so useful. And I can't wait to get this podcast out to more women. Yeah. Mm, yes. Thank you so much. I, did I say those words? Um, Hermione did. Okay. Yeah. Your, 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 like, your podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. I'm like, that's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> your guest did, but I stole yeah. them. No. <laughs> That's good. She's great too. So, and that's absolutely true. And I think we need to be reminded of that. And I'm with you on that. That's my mission. That's kind of what woke up in me 22 years ago when I was pregnant with my first and it hasn't left me as much as I've tried. I've tried to run away from this field. (laughs) It's pulling you back because you've got, you've got a gift to share. And we're grateful that you are still, still in it. Thank yeah, because because it's not an easy thing to tackle, and it takes a lot of energy. And so, you know, thank you for sharing your energy. And also, it's your birthday right now today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we I think listeners should need to know that uh-huh. you're Happy spending birthday. your birthday with us, doing this podcast with us. So, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And for um, listeners who want to find you, I know you have therapyformoms.ca is your website, um, and then your Instagram. All of these these contacts will uh, include in our show notes so everyone can check those out. And of course your um, book and your podcast healing after book uh, after birth, sorry. (laughs) So um, we'll include all of these resources in the show notes. Um, So thank you again, Jennifer, um, for all of this incredible information. Um, We're very grateful. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.